<laughs> well, what do you have to say for yourself? I wanted to ask about your handwriting. Have we talked about this before? I don't know. The problem is, we sometimes have conversations that are not recorded, so I can't tell if we've talked about it before on mic, or we've just talked about it before. We've talked about your handwriting. But we haven't talked about your your experiences with other people's handwriting. I think it's very rare to have to interact with somebody else's handwriting these days. Like most of the time, even if people take handwritten notes, they're not going to send you their handwritten notes. Like in a professional capacity, you're always going to be dealing with typefaced text. I suppose unless you're a pharmacist and you have to deal with doctors' horrifying scribbles. So you're paperless. You've never had to just deal with a random note that someone's written to you. Yeah. But what about on the whiteboard? Do you have to write on the whiteboard? Oh yeah, you have to write on a whiteboard, yeah. It's true. Do people have to suffer your handwriting on the whiteboard? Is it is it supreme on the whiteboard but terrible on paper? My handwriting is similar in all situations, which is to say people say it looks like a five year old's. I really can't remember we talked about it on the podcast before, but things people have said about my handwriting, you know, like school teachers said your handwriting is so bad it's gonna hold you back as an adult and I was like it won't everything will be typed by then and they were like don't be ridiculous or my parents being told this at a school you know parents evening and then me telling my parents it doesn't matter I can type way faster than I can write and they're like you're not always going to be in front of a computer you know sometimes you're gonna have to write and it's like "Uh uh-uh so fortunately the modern world has saved me and my shocking handwriting is not a problem for, for exams, I guess it was legible. It was bad handwriting, but it was always legible and you could write at speed. To, actually, okay, to be honest, my handwriting isn't illegible or bad. It just looks like a five-year-old's. And when people say it looks like a five-year-old's, it's not because it's like really scribbly and bad. It's because I like write each individual letter. That's okay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not like doing joined up squiggly handwriting. I'm literally like writing each individual letter as its own like glyph. So you're writing legibly. I'm writing legibly. It Unlike just, the rest of the world. It just looks like it just looks like a primary school child's handwriting. You could write like an adult and you just become a, a long mess. Actually, I think I mostly just have a complex about it. My handwriting's probably fine, but people have just berated me about my handwriting so much that now I think it's terrible. People think it's interesting. It's interesting? <laughs> yes. What does that mean? It's not how we imagined Sir Mike to write. How did you imagine me to write? Uh, like a doctor. Like a doctor. That's actually why I failed my entrance into medical school. They asked me to write like my personal statement and they could read it. So they immediately discarded my application. You refused to <laughs> change your handwriting for them. Uh, no, obviously I didn't apply to be a doctor. I wanted to be an engineer. So when do you have to write? I do still prefer to take handwritten notes. Surprisingly. Surprisingly. Like when I'm interviewing someone, I'll take handwritten notes. When I'm in a meeting, I'll take handwritten notes often. Like, I think, I think being able to just write stuff in different shapes and scribble things round and like draw arrows and stuff, free form, is better for like fixing it in your memory when you look back at it than if you have to type things out. So, for free form notes, I still prefer to take them with a pen and paper. I suppose I should take them on a tablet. I should just use a stylus and a tablet, but I don't. I still don't really like writing with a stylus. I still don't feel it's the same as paper. 
I think it's just like the lines on a stylus still look kind of fat compared to, you know, with a ballpoint or a biro or something. On the screen? Yeah, on the screen. You know, like the line is always quite a fat line. You can change that, can't you? I don't know. It just never seems right. I, 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 for whatever reason, I've just never quite managed to make the switch. I've never used an Apple Pencil. Maybe I should give it a go. People do say it's like writing on paper. Oh, almost. that's where you're going wrong. You have the i. You have the Pro. I do have an iPad Pro, but I just use it for watching YouTube. They didn't try to upsell you in that case. They tried to upsell me. They were like, "Oh, and you want the uh, the type cover and the pencil too?" And I was like, "No, no, I'm just going to use it to watch YouTube." And the guy was like, "Wait, what?" That was a more shocking response. Yeah, that's right. And I was like, "Don't ask questions. Here's my credit card." I said, "The pencil just looks so dumb." You have to, like, flip open the back and, like, plug it into the bottom of the iPad, right? And it's just, like, sticking out like it's, like, a handle. I guess the new iPad is weird and wireless, right? Because it's USB-C. I don't know. At some point, I'll refresh all my stuff. I'll get new tablet, laptop, phone, whatever. When it all, when it all changes to USB-C, I'll refresh all my stuff. I suppose I could probably already do that if I switched to Android, but that's just a bridge too far. I'm so you know you once you're so entrenched in the walled garden you can't climb out. Also, you need a reason to climb out. Yeah, that's right. I need a snake to tempt me. Well, it's the, it's the opposite actually. I need to not eat the apple. I need to not eat the apple to escape the garden of jobs. But climbing out is effort in itself. Yeah, there's like, there's no point to it either. Like, is it really better? Not really. You just got different problems. It's like, oh, I can do all these things I couldn't do before now, but I can't do all these other things that I could do before now. Well, maybe I can still do them, but they're just slightly annoying. <laughs> so this week? Wait, we're not going to talk about your handwriting? Oh, uh, we can quickly. So I have to bring out the handwriting every time I write a card for April. Unfortunately, it's the only time I get to do any handwriting, so it's almost at its worst. I have more adult-like handwriting because it is illegible. And I tried to write like you, actually. What? Really? Yeah. Because that's when it's at its neatest, but it doesn't work out like that. And as you get older, you care less as well. That's the secret. Just don't give up. <laughs> there was a time when I used to, like, draw and measure out the lines and pencil in lines which I then rub out after I've written on top of them. Wow, that's dedication. But you don't want to be the, the one that, you know, with the slopey handwriting... I guess not. But yeah, so from a distance, it looks good because it looks kind of like adults' handwriting. But when you go close, it's terrible. I used to remember everyone asked for my notes. And then once they got the notes, they realized they couldn't read them. <laughs> Why do they ask for your notes? With like, he's Asian, he's going to have good notes. It, it looks good, right? <laughs> from a distance, it looks good. And then when I, I lend the notes out, they can't read it. It's fine. That's what you get. Don't take my notes. It's funny. Literally, no one ever asks for my notes. <laughs> this is so funny. I can tell you, literally, no one ever asked for my notes. They were too scared to ask you, actually. <laughs> Nothing to do with your handwriting. Probably just giving them the side eye. So this week you went to see Craftwork. How did you... Describe craft work to those not in the know. Yeah, people at the office were like, oh, you up to anything? And I was saying, oh, actually, yeah, I'm going to go and see craft work tonight. And they were like, who? And I was like, you know, craft work. And they're like, 
I have no idea who you're talking about. To be honest, I don't really know Kraftwerk's repertoire all that well either. I just know of them. I just know they're like hugely influential. I actually did make sure to go and listen to their repertoire on Spotify ahead of the concert. And it really opened my eyes to like, wow, I can hear when other bands have actually tried to like ape this sound or have taken this concept and done the same kind of thing. And when I actually saw them live, a lot of the music made even more sense. It was, it was then really apparent to me like, oh, I get it. Like, this is like the sound of a Geiger counter or meant to remind you of the sound of a Geiger counter or this is the sound of like a keyboard or this is the sound of like, you know, machines or whatever. Like, loads of bits of the music suddenly made sense to me. But uh, anyway, to return to the original question, I said they're like the original electronic band like they're the original like electronic music band they formed in the 70s in germany yeah so they're like some hugely influential like the original electronic music like the sound of it is from them and they're four guys and they just stand at these little podiums with i presume keyboards or sequences or something on them and yeah, I mean, what are they even doing? For, for all I know, they could just be standing there watching YouTube and they just play the track. I don't know. It, the other wild thing about it was that it was actually Kraftwerk 3D. So as you walked into the venue, they gave you a pair of 3D glasses and behind them on a big screen was like a 3D projection. So while you were watching them, you were seeing like crazy shapes or patterns and stuff all in like pulsing 3D. It's quite mesmerizing. Pure instrumental. Mm, they they do sing a bit, but like they sing in like a weird monotone voice, as you'd imagine. In English. Sometimes in German. Sometimes in Japanese even, I think. I mean, they did sing a bit live. It's like one of the guys at least was mic'd up and I could see him singing. There was a bit where they all walked off stage. And then the next song just played and literally the stage was completely empty and they were like just playing the video and I was just like... You've given the game away, <laughs> You've guys. given the game away, guys. <laughs> You've just gone for a toilet break and they pushed play by accident. But no, then the screen fell down and you could see them standing on four other little podiums at the back flailing their arms about while they strobed lights. So for that one, they just did like a weird rhythmic dance with crazy strobing patterns and then they returned to podiums and played the next few. But that's not your only venture, venture this week. Fine, yes. I'm going to a music festival on one of Hong Kong's outlying islands. I actually know practically nothing about it. So I went to Kraftwerk with a guy I know from work. And then I paid for the ticket for Kraftwerk. And then rather than pay me back, he was like, oh, do you want to go to this music festival? And then we'll just call it quits. And I was like, oh yeah, sure, fine. So now I'm going to this music festival, but I know nothing about it. I literally know nothing about it. I'm sure it will be good for me. But you're going to be stranded on an island. I'm going to be stranded on an island for two days at some EDM festival. I have a terrible cold as well. I was like, oh, I just had to buy loads of Sudafed to like clear my nose. And he was just, those aren't the drugs you're meant to be taking. <sighs> but they're supplementing. It's fine. You're supplementing. <laughs> I've no, I've never really been to one of these things. 
This is going to be an experience. Let's hope I don't die of a heart attack. If I do, you'll never hear this episode because Ting's not going to edit it, that's for sure. I'll edit just the pre-chat. That'd be a, t- that'd be a terrible thing to do. You'll have to like contact my estate and then be like, oh, can I inherit his surface? I need to edit the pre-chat. And you did watch me type in my password just now. <laughs> you, what's what the word for someone who watches someone type in their password? I didn't even know. You animal. I didn't. I just looked at the screen. <laughs> you just you just observed the where caps- the capital letters were because <laughs> I was too lazy to use two hands to hold shift. Yes. But interestingly, you your capital letter isn't at the beginning of the password. Oh my God, you're giving the game away, Tim. You're giving the game away. Well, I'm just saying you're doing a good job. <laughs> well, not now. Now everyone knows. Okay, if your if your password is in the form of capital letter, lowercase characters, number followed by punctuation, please change it now. So common. Have you seen the new passwords are just four times eight characters? And they're just alphabet characters now. And that's sufficient. A longer password is better, right? Some funny password that's eight characters long that has numbers and punctuation and one, you know, one each of the categories of punctuation, special character, uppercase, lowercase number, whatever, is easier to crack than a password that is all lowercase letters, but like 20 characters long or something. Just like write a sentence, all lowercase. That's a better password. That's true. Yeah. Except if they know it's a sentence and then probably the entropy is lower again because they'll just use dictionary words on it and apply grammar rules. So it has to be something ridiculous. Whatever. We're not here to talk about computational complexity of... (sighs) What are we here to do? Welcome to Lost Levels Club. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. I have with me tonight Sir Michael. Hello. And myself. Tingathy. We're a book club for games. But not today. Again. Today, we are going to do the second part of our... Are we qualified? Top 100. IGN's Top 100 Games. It's another episode out of time. We do these episodes when we need an episode that doesn't have to air in a timely manner because we're building up a buffer. Hilariously, the last time we did this was pretty much a year ago. So the Top 100 Part 1 was recorded on June the 2nd, 2018, just before you went on holiday. And this one is being recorded on May the 3rd, 2019, just before you have a baby. A quick recap. How qualified are we so far? I think we're pretty damn qualified. So between us, for games 100 to 26, we have played 65 out of the 75. Most of them were played by me. (laughs) So I set a target for us, for myself, of 80 out of 100. Wait, is it a target for us or for a target for yourself? Because <laughs> if it's a target for yourself, I think you've failed. It's my target for us. Because <laughs> okay. obviously you may have a... I think I individually have played more than 80. I'm not sure how much of the original 75 you've really played. Air quotes. Are you going to give some examples for this shocking accusation? Oh, man. 
here I've got down Soul Calibur, which you played for less than an hour at a meetup. Can't count that, can you? I can totally count that. I played it in an arcade as well, a bit. <laughs> a bit, five minutes. A bit, well, like one credit, like one pound's worth of time, one whole pound's worth. Which are quick, <laughs> no, but you're not that 30 good. 30 seconds. I played Soul Edge a whole bunch, though. It's the same series, close enough. Maybe. I don't know. You didn't really define what the criteria were. I, I, I gave my own criteria. You know, I, I feel comfortable in saying that I played all the games that I said I played, except maybe Ms. Pac-Man, where I'm still not sure I really played it, or if I just imagined that I played it. Pac-Man, I definitely played some form of Pac-Man. I mean, does it really make a difference? No, we're just chatting here. It's fine. I mean, what I think is funny is that it's been so long since we recorded part one and we actually made the notes for both part one and part two at around about the same time. So looking over these notes now, I'm just like, I'm like a different person now. Like what happened in this past year? Like, I don't agree with any of this stuff. (laughs) Like the notes in part one, I think I said, oh, there's loads of new games on this list. I'm really surprised how many new games there are on this list. And then when I was looking at part two without checking the notes, I was just thinking, oh, there's loads of old games on this list. It's really surprising. There's so many old games on here. I'm like a different person now. What's happened? I don't know. But it says something about the list because you were focusing on the first 75, 100 to 26. And now you're focusing on 25 to 1. So what we're really saying is the old games are the best. Or at least the person who compiled this list thinks so. Yes. I would actually be willing to bet the person who compiled this list is probably a similar kind of age to us, given the games that are on this list. Anyway. Any final words before we start? Well, given the age of the games, I guess a question is, are they objectively good? Or were they just good at the time and now it's nostalgia? Like, I really do wonder about some of these games because their placement on the list, which my initial reaction is to agree with, I think is probably down to the the memory of how we felt when we played those games. But how much of that is because when we played those games, they were really groundbreaking and new and we hadn't experienced anything like them before. And if you were to objectively rate them now playing them now i'm not sure they would rate this highly but some of them maybe would can you point out a dubious one when we get there i i will do i will and with that being said shall we begin Number 25, Civ 4. Have you played this? Not Civ 4, no. Not Civ 4? No, not Civ 4. Oh, man. 
There were two of these? Wait, wait, what? Is that right? There, wait, there were two Civ 4s? At what point did the Civilization franchise have no owner and there were two sequels that came out? Oh, that was ages ago. That was the Civ 2, Civ 3 kind of period. There was... I can't remember if it was Civ 2 or Civ 3, but there was the Civilization game and there was another one called Civilization Call to Power. Yes. This is not that time period. Okay. I have also played Call to Power, in case you're wondering. And I do remember that added a whole load of innovative things like underwater cities and space cities, and you could build a space elevator. It was pretty cool, but pretty different. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about. Civ 4, Baba Yetu. Do you know the song? Only because you've told me about it. It's so good. I enjoyed Civ 4 a lot. I think it's the last Civ game that really feels like Civ 1, 2, and 3. Because after Civ 4, the rule set just really changes. It all becomes hexagons and no death stacks anymore. You can't like have multiple troops on one tile. I don't know. So I, I think from Civ 5 and Civ 6, the, the actual mechanics of the game changed quite a lot possibly for the better but Civ 4 feels like Civ 1, 2 and 3 but like dragged into the 21st century with a 3D graphics engine you can zoom out and it becomes a globe yeah I really enjoyed it have you played them all? I actually haven't played Civ 6 I did buy it in the Steam sale (laughs) never got around to playing it yet so you agree with Civ 4? I like Civ 4 from the franchise yeah okay Number 24. Minecraft. Made by he who shall not be named. He's become a persona non grata. He's not invited to the 10-year celebrations. Is it 10-year celebrations? I think it's 10 years. I think it's 10 years. We're obviously talking about Notch, who actually kind of went mad, it seems. But anyway, we're not here to talk about him. We're here to talk about Minecraft, the game that Notch wrought. Which, whatever you think about him, the game is amazing. Is it really? Yes. It is an incredible game. It's so simple, and yet it's so good. I think it's really amazing like how much impact Minecraft has actually had on like modern civilization. It's really bizarre, because... When Minecraft came out, it was a game for, like, uber geeks, right? Like, who knew about Minecraft? Like, people who were into indie games, people who wanted to make bizarre redstone contraptions. I found out about it that way, and then I started playing modded Minecraft because, like, vanilla Minecraft wasn't interesting enough for me anymore, and so on and so on and so on. But Minecraft now is for kids. Like, kids love Minecraft. It's crazy. Also, parents love Minecraft. Because it keeps their kids busy. And it's... And it's safe. Yes. And and the thing that I think is really interesting about Minecraft is because it's become so much for kids now, like, pretty much everybody has played Minecraft, right? Like, every school-aged child has played Minecraft, it seems. And as a result, the skills of navigating a 3D world, like, everybody knows them now. You know, like, there was a time when only hardcore gamers could fathom like twin stick controls for navigating a 3D space. And I remember when twin stick controls first came out, 
people like literally couldn't get their head around them. People said like this control scheme is ridiculous. How can anybody handle moving two joysticks at once? Obviously, history has proved them wrong because it has now become the standard way. But still, everybody can handle that now because even as children, they just get taught it so they can play Minecraft. And as an educational tool, I think it's really good to teach programming too. Like I think the basic scripting and the command blocks and everything, like it's a really transformational game. It's really surprising the impact it's had. I guess that's why Microsoft bought it. I still don't see the point of Minecraft. (sighs) Does it need a point? You're the sort of person who wouldn't enjoy spending 100 hours building a factory that produces nothing in particular. There is a point to producing things, though. Minecraft, you just explore. You just explore. Do you see a point to Lego? Do you like Lego? I thought I liked Lego, but I don't see the point of Lego. At what point did your soul die, Ting? At what point did you become a corporate slave? I need achievements. (laughs) I need goals. I need objectives. It's so funny. You really do. Whereas I like totally don't care. I'm like, why are you doing this? Why wouldn't I do it? You know, and whereas you're like, give me an achievement and I'll do it. Give me a gold star. Give me, <laughs> give me a gold star and I'll do it. Smiley face, gold star, I don't care. Play one of the mods. Play one of the mods where you have to do stuff. Play Feed the Beast. That makes much more sense to me. We should do it one day. I, I know I said this in the past and we never actually did it, but we should do it. We should play like Feed the Beast. A new version of the Feed the Beast map came out recently. It's Actually, I was going to say it's so good. The original Feed the Beast was so good. I have no idea if this new one is any good. It would surprise me if it wasn't, though. But you have Satisfactory now. That's true, we could play Satisfactory. Satisfactory's easier on the eye. Have you seen the ray-traced Minecraft? Yes, I have. I don't have ray-tracing. It's not using RTX. But it's not very performant on my... Well, no. It's not very performant on anything. <laughs> we can move on. Number 23. Halo 2. Have you played this? No, I've not. I played this for the single-player story... Which I think means I'm doing it wrong. Really? Well, it's on this list because of the multiplayer, right? I think the multiplayer in Halo 2 was really transformative. Like, it was, like, the multiplayer game on Xbox. But I never played the multiplayer for Halo 2. I literally bought it years after the fact and played it through the Xbox 360 backwards compatibility. So, I bought it because I wanted to have played the story of it before playing Halo 3. How was that? No, it was alright. I mean, it's the middle... I was going to say it's the middle of a trilogy, although it's not even a trilogy anymore. It's a... No, I was going to say tetralogy, but quintilogy, hexa, dubri. At the time, it was the middle game in the trilogy. And has, like, no closure. A load of stuff happens, and yet nothing happens. Yeah. Next. 22. Half-Life. There is so much we could say about Half-Life. Right, you've played this, I played this. This was like a massive, groundbreaking and transformational game. Like, it's literally hard to remember what first-person shooters were like before Half-Life. Because all first-person shooters now are basically like Half-Life. Everything is cinematic, everything is telling you a story, and Half-Life takes some really bold, well, it turns out actually forced decisions in terms of how they implemented it with 
a silent protagonist and everything being in engine and not in just in engine cutscenes, but always from your own first person viewpoint. But you never really see what Gordon Freeman looks like, except on the box art. So there is another book club podcast called Dev Game Club. And I would just like to say we were first, like we as a podcast, I think started before they did. They're probably like a million times more popular than us on account of the fact that they are two already famous game devs. So people are interested in what they have to say. But they did Half-Life as their book club game and then got some of the Half-Life actual devs in for an interview afterwards to talk about, you know, the making of the game and the design decisions they made on the game. And those interviews are actually really interesting. So things like the silent protagonist and the viewpoint and all of that, they, they actually cover in much more detail. So I will put links to those episodes in the show notes rather than me try and remember all the stuff they said and butcher it horribly. Did they mention the AI? I think they probably did. Because, again, Half-Life is like Halo in that it's one of the games where people thought it had really good AI. I I suppose it actually really did for the time, right? If you think about what Half-Life was up against, the enemies in most FPS games up to this point you know, those games were run and gun games. They didn't have like a cinematic plot. And as a result, the enemies literally just ran at you and shot at you. Whereas in Half-Life, the enemies appeared to be trying to take cover or like throw grenades at you and stuff. And they would shout out what they were doing. And so it gave this impression of intelligence, even though actually I think their AI was very simple. But the fact they were like throwing a grenade made you think that they had a good reason for throwing that grenade. Whereas really, it was just some random number generator that said, you're going to throw a grenade now, but the fact that you shouted throw a grenade made it seem like there was a reason behind it. Number 21. Metal Gear Solid 3. I have not played this. Nor have I. What? You let me down! You're the guy who's played the Metal Gear Solid games. That was your one job. I've also played the FIFA games, but they're not on the list. (laughs) Yeah, I approve of this list. (laughs) number 20 (laughs) just like that we're we're past it all right the last of us can you believe it has been six years since the last of us or thereabouts yes this was a playstation 3 game is that right yeah it was Mm, so yes i can believe it where has the time gone there was so much hype about this game Was the hype throughout, like before, during, and after? I think there was. I'm not really sure why. I mean, it was telling a good story. But was it really groundbreaking in the same way that some of these other games on the list have been? Yes, it was. Okay, okay, then. What was groundbreaking about it? They they managed to create something compelling enough for you to play through, even though the, the topic was just so painful so dark so dreary so futile that's how i saw it i mean i thought it was about having an ai companion who wasn't annoying though i kind of argue that elizabeth from bioshock infinite was also an ai companion that wasn't annoying i'm alex from a half-life 2 yeah i think like people had figured out how to make 
good AI companions. I say good. I don't know. I'm trying to think what there was about it. you. It was the setting. I think that was why everyone was talking about this game. And Ellie isn't just an AI companion. Well, she is just an AI companion. But it's a relationship between her and Joel. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of like character development there. But the game was sufficient as well. I mean, that's the thing. The game was like a well-executed game, but I just don't think there was anything really groundbreaking about the game. It had like some good set-piece moments. It was a competent third-person sneaky shooty game. But did you feel any payoff at the end? Oh, jeez. The, the I mean, without going into spoilers, I just, the end was just ridiculous. The end was just so dumb. The end was just like really you know like are you a monster i don't mean a literal monster i mean are you a oh, i don't know whatever it was it was another very emotional situation but you had to have that journey for the payoff or for that emotion at the end or that emotional ending i suppose so i'm not sure how they're going to re- replicate it in the sequel which maybe is this year? Or, or next year. Yeah, there's still no confirmed date on it, right? As of the moment we're recording, they're probably going to announce it tomorrow or something. <laughs> I mean, Things that I thought were funny about this game from a gameplay standpoint is one of the few games where you can run out of ammo for your knife. And like, your knife is like really important, like the shivs. Like, the shivs are really important because they can get you out of like grapples and stuff. So a lot of the time I was like, I wish I had more knife ammo, but all I've got is this stupid gun. Also, uh, for doors as well, which have all the loot. So you need those shifts. And then from a gameplay standpoint, you don't want annoying AI companions. So you never want to be in a situation where you lose because of your companion. And as a result, stealth checks are only carried out against the character you are controlling which means you sometimes get really funny situations where you are in cover and your companions are definitely not in cover but the guards are just totally oblivious like there was one time i remember where i ducked behind this like low wall and it was a really short wall so there wasn't enough room for ellie and i can't remember the name of the other lady who's the smuggler at the beginning with you to get into cover behind me and so ellie and her were literally just like running around in circles around this low wall like they were just like orbiting me and the guards just like walked straight past them even though they were like running around in circles really noisily it was like i know why this is happening but it looks ridiculous but it's also jarring because you think your ai companions have told you there are no guards or they can't see you so they're advancing but then when you advance everything goes to hell one last random tangent have you seen slash watched The Girl With All The Gifts? No. I don't know if this is just convergent evolution, but there is a film and a book that came out like the same year or around about the same time as The Last of Us, where the entire plot revolves around a girl who is infected with cordyceps, fungus that has destroyed civilization and is immune to it. And I was just like, did you guys just copy their homework? Like... What happened here? I, I can't tell if it's just 
a real coincidence or if it's literally that you know book reviewers were going oh it's so original just don't play computer games they just didn't realize that a computer game with exactly the same plot came out at the same time Number 19. Doom! The original 1993 Doom. A very influential game. There was nothing like it when it came out. I mean, I guess there was Wolfenstein, but Doom was like a huge leap forward. Like, Wolfenstein was all grid based, all, or one height. Doom. It still wasn't true 3D. You couldn't have like rooms above rooms, but it was a huge step forward. But again, this is a pre-Half-Life game. It was all run and gun. I'm sure you've played this. Mm, I have. I have. Did you play it properly? No, I didn't play this properly. I didn't play any FPSs properly at this time, during this time. Yeah, same. I mean, I just... I knew the cheat codes, and I just turned on the cheat codes and ran around shooting everything. That was a problem. I played everything with cheat codes on. Yeah, I've never actually really tried playing Doom properly. Have you seen what Doom has become? No. Because people are still modding Doom, and it is nuts now what Doom mods are like. So it's the same engine? No, I think id Software every now and then just releases the source code for their old engines. So the Doom source code was released and then people took it and then heavily modified it and then updated it. So there's there's a few different Doom engines now. There's like GZ Doom or Boom or, I don't know, probably some others. That's a great name. And there are obviously map packs or wads, but there's also like major mods and total conversions of Doom. And... Yeah, they're really, really crazy. Like, YouTube suggested to me some guy who just reviews Doom mods for some reason. I don't know. I don't know what possessed YouTube to recommend it to me, but I watched one of them and it was very entertaining. And now I've subscribed and watched like 10 videos about Doom mods. I don't even want to play any of these mods, but they just look really, they just look really funny. It's just interesting to watch them and see what on earth they've done. Number 18, Chrono Trigger. Probably the greatest SNES JRPG. It has beautiful music. It was not released in Europe at the time of original release. But eventually when all these things got re-released years and years later on other systems, we got it. I'm guessing you haven't played this. No, I've not played this. I know of it. It's been re-released, right? Oh yeah, on all sorts of stuff. I think there was a DS re-release. It's on Steam now even, in fact. How did you play it? I played it on an emulator when I was a teenager. And 
PCs were really weak back then, so it couldn't actually emulate the game at full speed unless I played it in a tiny window. That was a solution to everything. That's right. Just put it in a tiny window, it'll be fine. So I was literally playing it in a tiny window. And you, ha- you have to remember as well, like, monitors were really low resolution then. So I was playing it, like, on a screen that was, like, 1024 by 768 and the screen itself was only, like, 14 inches across or something in a tiny window. Barbaric. But it was worth it. It was a really good game. Number 17. GTA 5. Does this game predate the podcast or did we play it on the podcast like i played this on the ps4 did you play it on the ps3 yes so we didn't play it at the same time but you have the ps4 version as well right because we played the multiplayer so did you buy it again mm, yeah i think i did you madman but i justified it because you were playing it kevin was playing it but we didn't do any four play heists well, that was the problem. It was a four-player heist, and they wouldn't just let you do it with three players and hope for the best. You like, you had to find a fourth player, and we just couldn't find a fourth player. I mean, we both finished the single player. Yes. Which is weird. It's got three characters. It's a very strange design. I mean, it's cool, but it's weird. Because like, you'll switch to a character, and you'll just like pick up in the middle of them doing something, which is itself like full of in-jokes and strangeness. And it endures to this day in the form of GTA Online, which is literally just printing money, right? I think so. Because for GTA 4, they made loads of DLC, like story-rich DLC, which I've not played GTA 4 at all, but apparently is great. And for GTA 5, they didn't. They just made GTA Online and just started selling people virtual credit cards. And people have just been buying these virtual credit cards. It's a fun place to be. It's not because the loading times are like multiple minutes long. Like I, I couldn't believe how long the loading times were. It was just not fun. You're not meant to leave. That's why. No, you just join an activity and it just takes like a minute to load you into the activity. I mean, just as a PC gamer, I genuinely found it shocking how long the load times were like that these were considered acceptable load times. They were not acceptable. People evidently put up with them because it's really popular. Maybe they're all on PC now. Anyway, let's move on. 16. Dark Souls. Oh man, Dark Souls. Dark Souls is like the Dark Souls of Dark Souls. (laughs) This joke fell completely flat. Dark Souls has had such an influence on the industry in that it's become the lazy thing everyone compares difficult games to. You know, like, whenever something remotely difficult comes out, people say, oh, it's the Dark Souls of X genre. But it was really refreshing when it came out, because it was unashamedly difficult. At a time when other games were... It's not really dumbing down, but making huge amounts of effort to be accessible accessible to a range of skill levels, accessible to non-gamers. Dark Souls comes along and, you know, it's like, this is really hard. Can I make this easier? No, get good. You know, Dark Souls was just unashamedly, this is the game, it's difficult, tough luck. 
Could you summon it in Dark Souls? You could. But, I don't know. I mean, just the opening of the game just rubs your face in it. You know, you don't even have a proper weapon. You walk into this courtyard and a massive demon jumps down and smacks you in the face with a hammer. Like, you know, if it's the first time you've played it and you just genuinely don't know what to expect, you're just thinking, am I seriously meant to fight this thing with this broken sword hilt? And then you realise there's a little door you can escape through. But it is cruel, but fun. It also has a very, very deep set of lore and backstory that you have to go digging for. If you go and look at all the item descriptions, there's so much there. And the world design is incredible. Like, the placement of, like, bodies and items and, like, even just the scenery itself is telling a story. There have been several YouTubers who have made their careers explaining what the hell is going on in Dark Souls and explaining, oh, well, this body you find here with this armor set on it is actually this mythical figure, blah, 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 blah. It's it's actually really interesting once you go down that rabbit hole. Plus, of all the Souls games, I think Dark Souls still has the best level design. The whole thing is this one interconnected but geographically, structurally sound world. There's no weird impossible geometry there where like one level is occupying the same space as another one but you know i mean dark souls 2 does that for example there's things like you find a lift on a mountain and you end up underground or something like there's loads of things in dark souls 2 that just literally don't make sense and if you render all of the game world at once lots of areas intersect each other in impossible ways whereas dark souls the original you can literally render the entire game world and it just works Plus, loads of secrets. Loads of secrets, loads of optional areas, which, of course, I love too. Any more? No, I think, we, I think we should leave it there. I could talk about it for ages, but let's not. Number 15. Street Fighter 2. This is, like, the original fighting game. Like, this is the original one-on-one fighting game that made the genre. Because before Street Fighter 2... Fighting games were, like, unrecognisable compared to, like, today's fighting games. Like, every game since Street Fighter 2 in the fighting game genre, except possibly Smash Brothers, is copying Street Fighter 2, the same basic formula. So, another incredible genre-defining title. Did you play this properly? Define properly. On your own? Beating the AI? Is that the proper way to play? I don't know. Or is it always social? Okay, it's a weird story. Because when this game came out, I was pretty young. So I didn't like hang around in arcades or anything. Because, you know, number one, there weren't many arcades around near where I lived. And number two, I was just too young to be doing stuff like that anyway. So my first exposure to Street Fighter 2 was like a launch event for the SNES version. And... In the Virgin Megastore in Reading, they had an event where you could play against Dominic Diamond on Street Fighter 2. And Dominic Diamond at the time was the presenter of Games Master. Well, him and Patrick Moore. Sorry, Sir Patrick Moore. May he rest in peace. This probably means nothing to you if you're not from the UK. Anyway, that was my first exposure to Street Fighter 2. So, did you play 
yeah. against Dominic Diamond. I did. Was he any good? Yeah, I mean, he was better than me, but it's not surprising considering that was literally the first time I had ever played it. I still remember he beat me just by spamming fireballs, which, you know, I may have never played the game before and I may have been like 10 years old or something, but I, even then I could tell that was cheap. Good. Did you watch the movie? No. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> yes. It wasn't good. Number 14. Super Mario Brothers. Da-da-da-da-da-da. We've both played this now. Yes. At the time we actually wrote these show notes, you hadn't played this. Right. But we have now both played and finished it because it was the book club game. So now you appreciate this? Definitely. And did you watch the movie? <laughs> no. <laughs> Lucky you. <laughs> Number 13. Halo Combat Evolved. So it's funny that this one gets a subtitle, but this is just the original Halo. And I think it's funny as well that it's higher on the list than the sequel. It's interesting that they thought they should put both in. Yeah, I mean, I really feel like if you're doing this sort of list, you should probably only put one game per franchise on it. Yes. But, you know, this isn't our list. This is some IGN one. So there you go. Was this genuinely groundbreaking? I think at the time the AI was considered groundbreaking. But with the hype, you had the warthog, you had the planet, the beach, the setting. There was hype. Yeah, I mean... There was a huge amount of hype about the game. It's just, why? What What did it do that was really new? I don't know. It was Bungie coming over. From Apple to Microsoft. Yeah. I don't know. To be honest, all I really remember about the game is the pistol. But I've talked about that at length when we talked about the Master Chief collection. So, Number 12. Castlevania, Symphony of the Night. What is a man? A miserable little pile of secrets. You'll have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just like, what's happened to Mike? He's having a brain aneurysm. Not for the first time. <laughs> I actually had to look up when this game came out. 1997. It's much later than I expected. It's much earlier than I expected. I completely missed this game when it actually came out. Like, I literally did not know it existed. And had no idea it was... Well, I mean, I guess at the time it came out, no one knew it was going to be an important game. I only discovered it existed when people started referring to games as Metroidvanias. Like, literally, a genre appeared. The Metroidvania. And it was defined as a game that's kind of like Metroid or... Castlevania from Symphony of the Night onwards and my only exposure to Castlevania had been Castlevania 1 and 2 on the NES and also the Game Boy 1 so in my mind Castlevanias were just kind of action platformers like Mega Man so I actually went back and played it and it's a fantastic game you went back how I mean I wasn't gonna say it because it's slightly dubious but I may have acquired a rip of the CD and then played it on the PlayStation emulator on a hacked PSP. Because, 
you know you could play PlayStation games on the PSP, like you could download them from the like PSN store. And what was surprising is that they didn't actually like get the code and recompile it to work on the PSP's processor. Like they literally wrote a general purpose emulator on the PSP that could emulate PS1 games at full speed, which is kind of shocking. And they just literally just fed it CD-ROM images. So if you had a jailbroken PSP, you could just take a CD-ROM ISO and just give it to the emulator and it would just play it. It's not a bad thing. Yeah, so I, I played Symphony of the Night portably on my commute. Here we are again It's always such a pleasure Remember when you tried to kill me twice Oh how we laughed and laughed Except I wasn't laughing Under the circumstances I've been shockingly nice You want your freedom to That's what I'm counting on Number 11, Portal 2. We've both played this. Yes, we have. I was so hyped for this game. I was like really, really hyped for this game. I really liked Portal. Which again is another game. Which is, this is another example of them putting two games from the same franchise on the list and the original game being rated higher up. So we'll get to that in a bit. But Portal 2, I was so hyped for. And really weirdly, they made an iPad app about the final hours of Portal 2, like about the making of Portal 2. And I actually bought this iPad app just so I could experience more of Portal 2 and like learn about how they made it. It was really bizarre. I don't know why I did this, but I was so hyped for Portal 2. So I know all sorts of bizarre facts about Portal 2 as a result, which you can probably get by just watching various different YouTubers nowadays. But yeah, such a good game. What was your experience of it? I played the multiplayer first. Did you do this? No. Who'd you play it with? I played it through with Kez. Oh. And almost didn't remember or didn't recall what I did with the single player. I even told you I hadn't finished it. It's crazy how they've put in both and they're both just as good. <laughs> Are they just as good? Do you not? Did you play the multiplayer? I did play the multiplayer. Do you not think it was really well fleshed out? I mean, I guess, but I don't really remember it that well. I guess we've got... It's funny, we've got the opposite situation. I, I don't know. I just really like the single-player story. It was so good. It was like a really... I don't know. In a way, it's like removing the mystique and trying to, you know, giving more information and backstory to these characters that maybe didn't need backstory and information. But at the same time, I just... I really enjoyed it. Great ending. Great song. I mean, I don't think it's a spoiler at this point to say that Portal games have a song associated with them. And the song for Portal 2, again, I was just listening to it on repeat. I mean, okay, just to go briefly into the interesting backstory of Portal 2. Fun facts. Did you know Portal 2 almost didn't include any portals? No, I didn't. So Portal 2 was originally 
meant to be a prequel to Portal, so set in the 60s or whatever, the Cave Johnson era. And originally, you didn't have the Portal gun. There was some other mechanic that, to this day, has not been revealed because Valve still thinks they may make a game based on this mechanic. So all that's known about it is that it was called F-Stop, which kind of implies some camera connection, I guess. I don't know. Either way, the original Portal 2 game design did not have any portals in it. And when people played it, or when this leaked to the media, you know, the comments were saying, it's really fun, but it's not a portal game. Like, it has no portals in it. And so they went back to the drawing board, and we eventually got the game we've got now. But again, paralleling the original portal, they found this student team from the DigiPen Institute that had made a game called Tag, The Power of Paint, where you could paint surfaces and it would change the properties of the surfaces. And so they actually ended up hiring that team and bringing that mechanic into Portal 2 as, you know, the acceleration gel or the bounce gel. And another thing I remember is that GLaDOS was originally a much less sympathetic character So I think they actually wrote a whole load of voice lines for GLaDOS and recorded them. And then when they played through the game, they just realized they hated GLaDOS because GLaDOS was like the heartless AI. And she really was a heartless AI and nobody had any sympathy for her at all. So they actually ended up rewriting all of GLaDOS's lines to make her a more likable character. That was a good idea. Yeah, you know, I really felt for GLaDOS. And again, like the payoff for that at the end is... Fantastic. I thought there would be a sequel. Well, it really looked at one point like they were going to converge the Half-Life and Portal universes because at the end of Half-Life 2, Episode 2, they make mention of discovering the Aperture science ship Borealis, like entombed in the ice. So I was assuming that for Episode 3... In the same way that the gravity gun was a critical mechanic in Half-Life 2, they were going to introduce the portal gun into Half-Life, but it never happened. I wonder if Portal 3 will be the, the Valve Index VR AAA title that they're teasing. Ooh. I wonder how many seconds it will take between walking through a VR portal and vomiting. Number 10. Super Mario 64. We're into the top 10. Super Mario 64 is an example of a game that I feel was totally amazing. And I remember literally finding it mind-blowing. I mean, it was, again, a really groundbreaking game. But, but, is it objectively good? If you were to play it now, would it just be a mediocre 3D platformer? Wait. When you played Super Mario Odyssey, did you not think about Mario 64? Uh, And (laughs) I think this is like the problem. This just goes to show like how nostalgia is like a hell of a drug. Because I think when I was playing Super Mario Odyssey, I was thinking, oh, it's a shame it's not as good as Super Mario 64, right? I was thinking it's good, but I had more fun playing Super Mario 64. But I don't actually think, trying to be objective here, that... Super Mario 64 is actually a better game or a more fun game. I think it's probably more that I was an idiot and I had no taste as a child 
no, no, that's the wrong way of putting it. But, you know, I was, I was less discerning or literally there were no other 3D platformers. And so Mario 64 was truly an incredible new experience and there was nothing like it. And as a result, it's sort of really, you know, like the endorphin high from playing a 3D Mario game just like really burned its way into my brain. Did you feel this great when you played Mario Sunshine? No. So Mario 64 was better. Well, no, I, it may literally just be because it was new. It was a totally new experience. And I do think there are some things that it does incredibly well. Like the cohesiveness of the world is all set in this one castle that has itself secrets and connections between the floors and you're, you know, you're exploring the castle and you're finding the paintings in the castle. And then some of the worlds aren't even paintings. It's, you know, it's the surprise of discovering those as well, like the magic of it. So I think I did say to you, how could Super Mario Odyssey have been better for me, in my opinion, would be if you hadn't had the Odyssey as the ship, just taking you from world to world, if all the worlds were connected somehow, like, and you explored them like a, you know, if, if like New Donk City had been the hub or if there had been a few different hubs and there'd been like paintings or warp pipes or connections between the worlds rather than you just flying from one to the other. I think I would have found that more magical. But hey, they're not making games for me. Yeah, I mean, I really think this is a nostalgia is a hell of a drug kind of situation. One last thing. You think this is potentially not as good as Galaxy? Yeah, I, I can't tell. I really can't tell. If you'd asked me a few years ago, I'd have just said, oh, Super Mario 64 is the best, hands down. And I just, yeah, I really think I was not being objective. I think Galaxy 1 and 2 are very different games. They aren't the kind of sandbox exploration games. They're much more linear. But I, I do remember hearing just the music for Galaxy just completely out of the blue just hearing a snippet of the music for galaxy and yeah like you know this the soaring highs of it it was just again an incredible feeling i was like oh you know what galaxy was an amazing game so maybe they just can't be compared number nine red dead redemption we did this as the book club game so we've said probably everything that we could possibly say about it and then some. Compared to RDR2? Well, unfortunately, I haven't really played RDR2. I, I played like 10 hours of RDR2. And then I kind of put it down over Christmas. And then never quite managed to pick it back up again. What's your take? Because you have played and continue to play RDR2. RDR1 is much leaner. And I think that's better. <laughs> but with... Red Dead Redemption games, the payoffs at the end, so we'll see. Number eight, Half-Life 2. It's another one of those. Lazy. Lazy. Don't just keep putting games... Can we just put Final Fantasies 1 to 15 on here and be done with it? Like... Okay. Half-Life 2. The birth of Steam. The game they use to force you to download Steam, even though... You may not have wanted to, even though everyone probably hated it, but it was the only way to play Half-Life 2, and Half-Life 2 hyped to the moon and back. 
the gravity gun, all the physics stuff, which was groundbreaking for the time. How early did you get the gravity gun? Maybe like a third of the way in. You get it before you go to Ravenholm, right? And that's when... So you get the the physics puzzles quite early. I think not... Well, the physics puzzles don't necessarily require the gravity gun. Like You can literally just pick up boxes and drop them. So I, I don't think it was as powerful as Half-Life 1 in terms of its impact, you know, on the genre. It is funny, though, like a whole bunch of characters who were nobodies in the first game just suddenly become major characters and you're just meant to assume all this backstory for them like i have no recollection really of barney or eli or you know any of these characters from the first game because i think in the first game they were just well they were just people that you had one-liners with was alex a big deal at the time yeah alex was a big deal she was i mean episode one is when alex really came in right and she was an AI companion that went with you throughout the game from then on. And like the procedural animations for Alex, right? Like she would situationally decide to do a grapple or do a kick or something, you know, based on the the health of an enemy or her relative positioning to an enemy and stuff. Again, that was really cutting edge tech at the time. I don't know. I, I didn't enjoy it as much as Half-Life 1, I think. Like, it, it felt, it, I mean, it was super ambitious, but it, it kind of felt in a way kind of bland too. Yes. It, it's hard to define why. There was just something about the art direction or something that just didn't... There are two bits, right? There's the bit with the hovercraft and the buggy, and you're just traversing this lengthy mass. Is that the right word? You're just, you're just traversing, you're just tra- travelling, and there's no... It's not that exciting, really, because there's no story being told at that point. And yet, Half-Life 3, it's like the holy grail, right? When is it coming? Probably never. Hopefully never. Hopefully never. At this point, it probably is hopefully never. It is in the same way like Duke Nukem Forever. It was this game that was never quite going to make it. And when it finally arrived, everyone was like, you know what? It would have been better if this game had never actually arrived. I literally don't think any Half-Life 3 that they make could live up to the hype. It would be incredible if they actually managed to make a Half-Life 3 that actually lived up to the hype. Like, it would be the first holodeck game or something. (laughs) Uh, When you die in Half-Life 3, you die in real life. But it's funny because they were doing these episodes to try and reduce the delay between games, right? Because... Half-Life 1 to Half-Life 2 was six years. And so they said, okay, we're going to do these episodic releases. They're going to be shorter, but we can turn them around quicker. And we got episode one, and we got episode two. And then we never got episode three, slash Half-Life 3. And I think the thing that is the final nail in the coffin. So Mark Laidlaw, who's actually one of the guys who gets interviewed by Dev Game Club for their Half-Life episodes. He was the writer on the Half-Life games, and he's since quit Valve Software, but he basically released the story of Half-Life Episode 3 with slightly mangled names, 
but it's pretty obvious what he's doing. So I guess if you really want story closure, you just need to read that. Number seven, Tetris. Everybody's played this. There have been like a bajillion versions of this. It's funny because in the time since we originally wrote the show notes and now, Tetris 99 has come out. And so I originally said, uh, I can play Tetris, but I'm not that good at it. I just try and put the blocks where they go. I don't know how to do things like T-spins and stuff. Now I know how to do T-spins. Like I've actually put quite a lot of time into learning Tetris as a result of Tetris 99. So I'm still not good. Like I still definitely could not play Tetris the Grandmaster, for example. But Tetris 99 really shows why Tetris is up here. It's such a clever game. It's so simple. And yet, it's so clever and it's really funny that such a simple game is just so right because most of the time when people try and change tetris like tweak the formula it ends up being worse so it's quite amazing that something so simple is actually just so good and so finely balanced number six super mario brothers three it was a book club game which means we've already talked about it loads. Any extra comments to make? This is a lot like Super Mario World. This is a lot like Super Mario World, which I didn't expect. It was huge when it came out. It was such a step up from Super Mario Bros. 1. And 2. Zelda. A Link to the Past. It's the greatest 2D Zelda game ever. How many 2D Zelda games were there? Uh, actually there's a few. Because there's obviously the NES original. There's Zelda 2 on the NES, which is actually side-scrolling, but that's still technically 2D. There's Link's Awakening. There's Oracle of Ages, Oracle of Seasons. There's the Minish Cap. There's... A Link Between Worlds. Is that Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks? Wait, wait, they're 2D as well? Well, they're top-down perspective. Okay, top-down Zelda then. But I would still say A Link to the Past is the finest 2D Zelda game. Of course, that might also be nostalgia talking. My recent exposure to this game has just been through the randomizer. Which, again, just shows how clever a game it is. And it's pretty fascinating that items that you are not meant to be able to get early in the game actually still have interactions programmed in for those early bosses, which is why the randomizer works so well. So it's a very surprisingly well-written game that deals with having everything randomly shuffled 
amazingly well and very i don't know it's it's a very interesting game to watch uh but if you play it properly if you've never played it it's definitely worth your time you know i mean this is a game that's what over 20 years old i would say it holds up even today number four super metroid so at this point in my notes for this episode i have written is this the greatest hits of my favorite games ever Literally, we just had Link to Pass and now we've got Super Metroid. And, you know, this is when I was starting to think, whoever wrote this list is probably a similar age to, well, us, given that we're the same age. When was Super Metroid released? 1993, I think. Seems so unfair that it's Metroidvania, not just a Metroid clone. But you have to remember... After Super Metroid, there's like nothing for like years and years and years and years and years. So you could argue that Symphony of the Night picked up the mantle of Super Metroid. I think something interesting is that when people say they like the Metroid games, often what they actually mean is that they like Super Metroid. Or maybe it's just me who says this, but you know, I say I like the Metroid games. Actually, I think I only really like Super Metroid. Metroid 1, I tried playing it, I didn't really like it. Metroid 2 on the Game Boy, I tried playing it, I didn't really like it that much. Metroid Prime, I never finished it. Metroid Fusion, I thought it was kind of dull. Because you're just following a path that they set out for you. Like Super Metroid is where it's at. The other Metroid games are kind of okay, but... Super Metroid is way out in front. You, I mean, you've never played this, right? Nope. Oh, we should play it one day. We should play it one day. It has a super high skill ceiling too. The speed runs of Super Metroid, super interesting to watch. Although possibly only if you've actually played Super Metroid so you can appreciate just how crazy they are. Number three. Portal. Was... The orange box, the only way to play this at the beginning. Yes. When Portal was released, the only way to buy it was to buy the orange box, which was a compilation of Half-Life 2, Episode 1, Episode 2, Portal, and Team Fortress 2. No, that makes no sense. Well, it's true. Why did you buy the orange box? Because it was the only way to get Portal. But you weren't buying the orange box to play Portal. Or maybe you were. Well, I mean, I wanted Episode 2 and Team Fortress 2 as well. But what I was really interested in was Portal. I mean, this is around the time when I was really thinking about making indie games. Like this is, I think this is around the time when I actually had time and I was starting to experiment in like Unity and stuff. Well, again, like just at least starting to think about it. Maybe I didn't have Unity yet, but, you know, I was on forums and I was like looking up tutorials and things. Anyway, I was thinking, we get first-person shooters. Why aren't there first-person puzzle games? It would be really cool to make a first-person puzzle game. And I had all these ideas for, you know, what you could do. And then Portal is announced. And I'm like, oh, well, I guess someone else is already making a first-person puzzle game. But now I really want to play it. So I bought the orange box. 
it had all these other games in it, including Half-Life 2 Episode 2. But the game I actually played first was Portal. And I finished it in one sitting. How did you play Portal? What do you mean? You've played it, right? Yes, I've played it. But were you keen on it or you just randomly picked it up as part of the box and... I randomly picked it up as part of the box. I'm surprised. I still don't know why I bought the orange box. Probably for episode two. But was that the only way to get episode two? It was. Okay, that's why then. But of the three, I was least interested in Portal. Shocked Pikachu face. I, again, I mentioned it earlier, but this was originally a student project from DigiPen. So these students made a game called Narbacular Drop, where you could place portals and had to solve puzzles. And Valve saw, you know, their prototype game and was like, you lot, you're hired. Number two. Zelda, Ocarina of Time. You are shocked that this is number two. It should be number one. Well, if you think this should be number one, then why don't you tell me? What's so good about this game? Do you not remember the opening? Do you not remember seeing everything for the first time? Yeah. <laughs> no, it was amazing. It was amazing. Then you, you open up into the village. You know, you have Navi. Is it Navi? Yeah. She goes and finds you. You're presented with the village. And then when you get, you do your find the sword, find the shield. And then you're presented to the, the Hyrule field. That was really, granted, it was like a really choppy experience at the time. But the music was phenomenal and the graphics were were phenomenal for the time. Yeah, it was, again, an amazing, groundbreaking game. I mean, in the same way that Super Mario 64 came out and really defined like 3D platformers, you know, Zelda came out and then took what Super Mario 64 had done and then just like did it again. You know, this huge open world with exploration and persistence. It really wasn't a fluke. Yeah, I, I guess, like, as surprising as Breath of the Wild was at release, like, Ocarina of Time was that surprising as well at the time of release. It was a world that was so huge compared to everything that had come before it. Yeah, and I guess in some ways, you know, Ocarina of Time does what Breath of the Wild does, but better. You have this big world, you can explore it, you don't have all these hundreds of shrines that are like cookie cutter things like Skyrim, but. Oh, is that what they mean when they said they'd make it like Skyrim? Well, that's, that's how I feel that they've done it. Do you not think so? No, you said it. it seems obvious. I think sometimes I think things are so obvious that I don't say them. And then I realize later on that other people just totally haven't <laughs> figured things out. Sorry. True in this case. I mean, okay. My experience with it. I actually was not fussed about this game at all for some reason. I just was not hyped for this game at all. Until like a week before release, when some friends at school were just suddenly started talking about it as if it was going to be the most incredible game that had ever existed. And I suddenly went from being like, oh, a new Zelda game, well, whatever, to... I must have this game. It's it's weird looking back, actually. Like, I don't know why I wasn't so hyped for it, because I really liked Link to the Past. But, yeah, for whatever reason, I just 
wasn't that fast. And then back then, if you didn't pre-order a game, like you, you literally had to pre-order games back then because cartridges were expensive and they wouldn't have that many in stock. And if you didn't get it, goodness knows when they'd order another batch in. And so I actually had to like phone around various different game shops until I found a shop that had a copy that had not already been spoken for. Like someone had cancelled their pre-order and I was like, oh, I want it. And they were, and then they were like, oh, you have to come in like at opening time to pick it up because otherwise we'll sell it to someone else. And so I remember having to like wake up on like a Saturday. I mean, like, you know, I'm not a morning person. I had to wake up like really early on a Saturday and get to this game shop in Reading as it opened in order to buy my copy of Zelda. And then when we played it, it really was magical. Like I was like totally mesmerized. And like, I remember going around to this friend's house because we both bought a copy and then just like watching them play it for like six hours and then being like, wait a minute, this isn't even on my save game. I'm going to have to do this all over again. And then being like, see you guys. And then I went home and then just did it all over again. But it was, yeah, amazing. I had to wait. <laughs> you what? I had to wait. Do tell. I didn't... You are so hardcore. I didn't... Uh, me, at that age, didn't even think to do what you did. To to phone up the shop to make sure I had a copy and then even have to think about rocking up early on Saturday to pick it up. I thought I'd be fine and then I wasn't fine and I just kept going weekly. Because daily was not an op... No, it made no difference. They didn't get in stock every day. It's funny also to think in the days before the internet, or at least the early days of the internet, news travelled more slowly, rumours would blow out of all proportion and there was no way to disprove them. So for a long, long time, there were rumours that the Triforce was in Ocarina of Time. Like you could literally like find the Triforce because in Link to the Past, at the end, you literally acquire the Triforce and you hold it up and you make a wish and there's no such obvious representation of the Triforce in Ocarina of Time I mean it's kind of alluded to that like Ganon and Zelda and Link each have a piece of it but you never like get the Triforce and hold it above your head and there were rumours that it was in the game and there was a Temple of Light hidden somewhere and there was just some crazy way to get to it and then people like sent screenshots that had obviously hacked together or mocked up or something but you know showing oh i got into the temple of light and then people going how do you do it it's like oh i'm not gonna tell because it was fake but you know things like that would not happen today because if someone made a fake screenshot you know people would tear it to pieces or people would literally just disassemble the game and be like it's not in there i checked but you know Back then, people couldn't do that. And though the mystery of is the Triforce in there or not endured for years and years and years. And people continued to find secrets for years and years and years. They weren't all like mined out within the first, you know, like week or two as they would be today. It was a different time. Number one. Super Mario World! It's the best 2D Mario game! I approve of this one having number one. Or maybe that's just the nostalgia talking. No, I think this is really, really good. I've actually played this recently, surprisingly enough. Like, we had a SNES Classic Night 
at the Retro Games meetup. And we were playing Street Fighter and F-Zero and other random stuff. But at some point, we just fired up Super Mario World. And we literally completed Super Mario World. Like me and another guy both knew the game really well from our childhoods. And we both just did the 11 exit Star Road clear of Super Mario World. Like it was no big deal. And then at the end, we were like, high five, Super Mario Masters. And like other people were like, how can you just do that? It's like, because we played it a lot as kids. So many secrets. It takes everything that was in Super Mario Bros. 3 and adds this whole extra meta layer of game on top with the world map and the secrets on the world map as well. Amazing. 96 exits in a 100% game, but can be finished in as few as 11. You've never played it? No, you have played it. Ish. Ish. I've always been player two. <laughs> You've always been player two. Just being baggage for player one. Again, with the, have you seen what people are doing with this game now? But, you know, people started modding this game and like making level editors and, you know, there was a level editor and people were making custom ROM hacks of this game pretty much as soon as it could be dumped as a ROM. And the things people can do now with Mario ROM hacking are crazy. So, you know I love watching Mario Maker Troll levels. And the guy who makes the Mario Maker Troll levels has started having a troll competition with Mario World ROM hacking. And he's been saying, like... It's amazing. I have so many more tools at my disposal now. Like, you can make good trolls in Mario Maker. You can make mind-blowing trolls (laughs) with Mario World ROM hacking. All right. So that's the end? Yep. How do we do? Pretty well. So out of 100 games, between the two of us, we've played 89. More than your 80%. Yes. I'm kind of sad that we didn't make 90%. We just played one more game. If only you'd played Metal Gear Solid 3, Ting. If only. Or they could have fixed the list. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, swap it out for FIFA. And then you put in another measure, which was, how many of the games had we finished? So of the games that can be completed, which I judge to be 88, between us we had completed 61 of them. So that's 69% of the games completed. Is that good? I think it's a passing grade. Yes. I mean, at university that would be, what, a high 2-1? We're just so close to a first. We're so close, but we didn't quite make it. Actually, 69.3... Are they going to round it up? We're going to have a Viva. No, they're not. (laughs) They're not. They're going to be like, 2-1, get out. (laughs) I think it's funny, just to point out, so of the top 25, I played 24 out of the 25. The only one I haven't played is Metal Gear Solid 3. And of the total 100, I've actually played 84 of them, if you count Ms. Pac-Man and Soul Calibur, which I do. So I think that's pretty good. That's really good. You, You see, you could do this solo. I don't know why you don't. Because I can't talk to myself. Okay, fine. I'm just here to, be, to listen. <laughs> uh, are you going to give your stats or are we, we going to keep them stum? We can do my stats. 
so from the top 25, I played 14. And then from the 100, I played like 43. Hmm. I know. Because I didn't play all these these old games. Yeah, I think there's a lot of SNES games on the list. At least near the end, there's a lot of SNES games. You made a note of the top 10? Well, I mean, six out of the top 10 games are Nintendo games. And yeah, there's a lot of... <laughs> I was going to say there's a lot of old games on the list. There are a lot of new games on the list. I don't know. What am I even saying anymore? I don't know. It's a list of 100 games. There's 100 games on the list. Never mind. You can say what's not on the list that should be. Yeah, I think if I was compiling this list, like some games that I would put on here that weren't on here. The Binding of Isaac. Hugely influential on the roguelite genre. Surprise it's not on there. I guess they've got Spelunky. Maybe that's their nod to it. Space Cam. I don't know why I like Space Cam so much. I just think it was an amazing puzzle. It was a puzzle game that made me feel really clever. You're a snob. <laughs> but it was really hard. It was really hard. And I genuinely felt a sense of accomplishment for finally finishing it. And you know what's funny? It's not like I finished it and I was like, oh, it's trivial. It's so easy. I'm so good. Like, I really struggled to finish that game. Like, my solution at the end was so bad. And I did kind of just brute force the last puzzle. Like, my solution was not elegant. I actually just replayed that last kind of boss level, like, literally a dozen times, just trying to control my... Because you actually can control the puzzles, for the boss levels and I just literally just retried it a dozen times until I finally had a successful run rather than try and redesign my you know factory because it was just too hard I was just like I can't deal with this anymore I'm just going to brute force it anyway Space Cam amazing game and finally of course PUBG PUBG anyone? PUBG? or maybe Fortnite if you want to be populist Maybe this list actually was compiled before either game arrived, so. You have some suggestions? Yeah. Well, they could have put FIFA here. Yeah, I mean, I think any sports game. I mean, I don't really get sports games, but sports games, hugely popular. Surprising that there's none on this list at all. Little Big Planet? Another surprising omission. And finally. Total War. Medieval or Rome. I've actually never played the Total War games. This is totally lost on me. But it's a proper franchise now. Like Warhammer, Warhammer 2 are are really popular now. Hmm. Well, you should force me to play one one day. Oh, it's it's terrible. I'm actually happy not to play anymore. It's a real learning curve. That's it. And that's it. We're qualified. We're totally qualified. Mike is totally qualified. Yeah, you're right. Ting. Ting is like in the remedial class. We're going to make him play Super Metroid at some point in detention. But by your rules, I can just spend maybe 20 minutes and I can be... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. You fire it up. You push start and create your save game. It's like, oh, I played it now. We're good. Done. We were Lost Levels Club. We still are Lost Levels Club. Please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please, please, please. You can find us on email. Mike.and.ting at lostlevels.club. On Twitter. 
at Lost Levels Club on YouTube and Twitch as Lost Levels Club on Reddit slash r slash Lost Levels Club. Okay, that is it. I okay. can't do any more. <laughs> okay. So, Mike, what are you grateful for today? I am grateful for discovering that I can buy pseudoephedrine over the counter at pharmacies in Hong Kong. So you can start your lab. (laughs) I did say, it's like I've opened Pandora's box. Now I can take pseudoephedrine as often as I want. I will never sleep again. (laughs) So Michael says bye. Bye Bye-bye.